Loop Du is a connection of mine with a very interesting but familiar story. He migrated to Canada while in college, which is a story many Filipinos will have heard. However, while there, he would dive into the startup scene and chart his own course in that industry. In this episode of the podcast, we talk about the process and challenges of immigration, the nature of startups, technology as a career, and investing in the Philippines. Okay, John, welcome to my podcast. Thanks for agreeing to come on. Uh, if, uh, if uh, for, the, for the benefit of the listeners, do you mind uh, introducing yourself a little bit, giving us a little background about yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, first off, Ramley, I'm really glad to, uh, to be on the podcast and listen to the uh, first episode that you guys p- published. Uh, that, was a, that was a hit. Um, a little bit about me. My name is uh, John Lugtu. Um, I'm originally from Cebu City. Uh, I was I moved I was there until uh, 18 years old. I moved to Canada in 2018, and so I did my university here at Canada York University. And then um, you know five six years later, and I'm you know out of school into the career world and uh, just plugging through. Mm. Okay, so uh, like that's a pretty uh, well interesting but common story in the Philippines. You know, people who migrate to uh, the U.S. So, like, what what prompted you? Like, what prompted your family to go to Canada? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it was actually something that was decided when I was still a kid, like pretty young age. It was actually my dad who um, made a decision that we would go to. Canada, and it was a decision between going to the U.S. and going to Canada. The decision was to go to the, uh, Canada. Um, it was actually my mom who first came into the country uh, back in 2008, and she's been working here um, ever since. And then in parallel, she was also applying for permanent residency, which would include myself. And you know, after a bunch of applications, a bunch of paperwork, uh, she finally succeeded around 2014, and then 2015, uh, early 2015, I got the news that I was going to Canada, and also just you know, meeting with my mom for 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 the first time in like plenty of years. You know, it's a typical Filipino story where you know you have one parent who would go abroad, and then you know the ultimate goal is that everyone goes abroad, but. Uh, we we had a more staggered approach. Mm, yeah, yeah, that, that that that's really unfortunate for the people who have to go through it. No, because it's like, it's it's like there's nothing uh, deficient with your family. It's just the, the circumstance. But like, if 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 I can ask, what what do you think prompts Filipinos to like undertake that kind of sacrifice? Like, I, it's it's the the reasons are obvious, but they're seldom spoken out loud. So, for someone who's gone through the process, it would be interesting to hear uh, how you view the reasons for going to Canada? It's definitely economic. I think millions, there's, I I forgot now the statistics, but there's actually a healthy portion of the Filipino population that is abroad. And mostly the reasons are economic and it was the exact same for my family. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we, we weren't really particularly like well off to begin with, I mean, we weren't dirt poor. Uh, we, we were uh, we were we were pretty we're pretty okay. Um, but one of the things that my dad, uh, when when I was a kid, envisioned was that there were just way more opportunities outside the Philippines. And I think that goes the same thinking for other um, Filipinos is that there's plenty of opportunities outside the country. And also there's certainly the, the appeal to the dollar or to whichever foreign currency um, you, you end up um, having, getting paid at. You know, um, when I was a kid, one of my favorite exercises was just looking at say Canadian dollar, the US dollar, and then converting that to pay pesos, right? It's a lot of money. And so most people that I know, and I think it, it's, it's definitely a reality for plenty of Filipinos is economic, right? There's plenty of opportunities outside and it's fairly easy to get jobs, a lot of opportunities. Um, and 
you know, it's just where the money's at. And in a country of, I believe we're now 100 million, uh, if not even more, you know, there's just not as much opportunities, not as much, um, you know, social mobility in the Philippines as there, ha- there are perhaps in uh, other parts of the country, other parts of the world. Mm. Uh, well, you, you moved at like uh, a really strange time in your life. You know, when you're 18 years old, like, I remember what I was like when I was 18 and like, I am nowhere near the person I am now. Uh, so I, I distinctly remember a lot of my experience when I was 18, like I was very unsure of myself. I was still trying things out. Uh, was was that made harder or worse uh, by having to move to Canada at that age? Harder or easier, rather, sorry. It was definitely not easy. And for, for plenty of reasons, uh, a little bit of backstory was that I was already first year university back home. I was already like studying computer science at the University of San Carlos in Talamban. And it was pretty abrupt. I got the news just when I one, forgot what, what day of the week it was, but it was just one random day. Um, I got a call from my mom or Skype. It was, it was a thing back then. <laughs> um, and she told me that I had to prepare moving to Canada. It was something that I knew was going to happen at some point in the, you know, in, in, in my future. I just didn't know exactly when. Nobody knew exactly when. So it was, to a sense, disruptive, right? I was in first year. My first instinct was, wait, I want to finish university here. I want to finish my degree. Um, but the visa did not really allow for that. So I really had to leave after my first year. And it was very... It was disruptive, I think, not just like from a personality uh, perspective, right? You mentioned that you're still figuring things out at 18. And to a sense, I was also figuring things out myself at that point. But I think the biggest challenge was just the fact that you are leaving family, you're leaving friends that you've known since you were a kid, right? There, there's a lot of things that you leave behind, um, mm-hmm. also including like food. <laughs> so so yeah. there's there's really lots and lots to miss lots to just leave behind so abruptly um but there's always this level of optimism that i had because you know we, we could we could always come back it's not cheap but there's there's you know, there's a will there's a way mm-hmm. well there's like a prevalence of media well media in general is defined by the west so uh, we have a lot of preconceived notions about what it's like to be a migrant or uh, immigrant living in the West. Uh, can you speak a bit about like the challenges that that particular experience imposed on you? Yes. Um, I also grew up with those um, ideas, right? As kids, we were just watching plenty of like Hollywood movies, um, TV series, you know, everything was in New York, everything was in, you know, Los Angeles, like, you know, you know, those movies. And so moving here, I also had a similar sense of what North American culture was. Um, you know, I did obviously a bit of research uh, coming to Canada, but nothing prepares you for just the fact that you're living halfway across the world. And the difference is, I think weren't as um, clearly defined, so to speak. Like, there's plenty of things that are just subtle differences. And I would argue it was even harder to define these things. Um, one of the examples that I could think of was when you meet people here for the first time or you just like come across people, first things they would say is, hey, how are you? Hey, how's it going? And for me, I wasn't really prepared for those questions, right? I think my first instinct when I was like, you know, just a week in Canada was trying to actually answer the question. How are you? Let me think. I think I had a good week. And, and that was that. But one of the things you'll know, in, if, you, if you've been uh, in North America, right, just outside uh, any English speaking country, is that they don't really want to know what your, you know, how your day is. It's just this like, hey, how, um, hello. Right. And so the default response was good and you or something 
to those lines. But there's a lot of things that were subtle. And these are a lot of the details that you know wouldn't be portrayed in media. And so um, those were the things that I have been uh, and actually continue to, to just learn, right? There's this diff differences in subtle, um, you know, with language, with how you speak, with how your tone is and how you gestures. There's like plenty of things that I think was, was def very different from what I imagined uh, it to be. Some were right, but like, you know, you never know until you actually are in a situation. Okay, gotcha. So the culture was difficult to adjust to, but you brought up an interesting point about how uh, the most uh, difficult thing was having to adjust to the fact that you're halfway around the world all of a sudden. And uh, to that point, I'm wondering, how does the Philippines fit into your future plans for yourselves? Because the reason why you and I connected was because you were actually thinking about different ways to put money into the Philippines, like to put aside for your retirement or for your own investment plans. Uh, so yeah, like what what is the Philippines to you now? It's a good question, Randy. And to me, the Philippines will always be my homeland. Um, I would always refer to it as the place where I call home, right? Home, home, because um, obviously um, I'm also here in Canada for the long haul, but the Philippines is my home. Canada, I think, is where my professional life would be. And so I foresee myself being here for, for the majority of my time. But you know, where it comes to like family, when it comes to friends, and when it comes to just looking at a place where I would potentially um, retire myself, or even just my parents, it will always be the Philippines. To answer your question about where I see Philippines um, fit, at least in my, I guess, like in my professional, in the professional sense, is that there's plenty of opportunities to capitalize on the Canadian dollar, right? I think going back to that exercise I mentioned when I was a kid, you know, look at the conversion between pesos and Canadian dollar. And I think there's something to be made there, right? Um, I'm earning, uh, I'm currently working in Canada and I'm earning dollars. And I think there is definitely a solid opportunity for me to invest perhaps in real estate and any uh, business in, in uh, the Philippines and have the currency work in my favor. So you're, you're trying to like, uh, given your increased earning power, you're trying to look at arbitraging and putting money away in the Philippines because you see the prospect there being higher. Uh, and so the implicit question or the implicit argument is that it's more difficult to grow wealth uh, given your position in Canada. Is, is that an accurate assessment you'd say or uh, am I getting it wrong? I think you're partly there. I think, you know, going back to just my rationale about like what, what I see the Philippines is to just at least my professional um, career is a lot of Canadians here, especially people that were born and raised in Canada have had this opportunity to accumulate wealth, either not just by themselves, but through their families, uh, their parents and the parents' um, inheritance and so on and so forth. Um, the Philippines definitely is something that I see as my unique edge, right? Um, mm. Everyone has uh, a unique edge, whether that is, you know, your, your, the opportunity that you're in or just like the privilege that you currently have. Um, the Philippines is something that I see as like a unique edge. And so to answer your question, it's definitely a bit of both. Um, it's true that, you know, perhaps wealth and just investments would grow slower there, but you're using Canadian capital applying it to the Philippines. Um, not necessarily means that you're also just doing that exclusively. You could also invest in Canada and just basically diversify your portfolio, which is really what um, you know most uh, professionals in the investment space recommend is always diversify your portfolio. The, uh, the thing about the Philippines is like as an investment destination, at least insofar as like personal retirement, like FDI is different, foreign direct investment. But like insofar as like storing money away, 
like I always, I always thought that the stock market in the Philippines always presented like a very unique set of opportunities. Because if you look at the stock market in the Philippines now, it's like the stock market in America in like the 1930s or something. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like that is an assessment which reflects how archaic a lot of our uh, equities are. Uh, but it is also an opportunity, I think, because uh, we don't have any of those complex uh, derivatives. We don't have any of those complex uh, securities products that are available in America, like options, for example. And so I think that uh, the Philippines is a really good destination for investment uh, for re- for retirement purposes because of, you know, like it's America in the 1930s. So mm-hmm. basically, it's like the only direction to go is up, right? Yeah, and, and, uh, and I definitely, definitely agree. And that's basically... Um why there's plenty of like foreign direct investment in the Philippines and not just like the Philippines, but any uh, progressing economy in, in the world. I think one of the appeals to the Philippines, as you, as you pointed out correctly, is that it's a growing economy, right? You're looking at the uh, US, you're looking at Canada. Uh, these are basically developed countries, not to say that there isn't any growth in their economy, there is, and it's pretty sizable, but it's the rate at which the economies grow that I think the Philippines has an edge compared to other developed countries. Yeah, so keep 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 chugging away, man, and just plugging money into the Philippines. So you'll be a billionaire a couple times over. Huh? <laughs> yeah, fingers uh, crossed that happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, what advice do you think you could give people who are thinking about making that jump? You know, whether uh, through the direct application or through the securitous route that you took. Uh, rather your family took. Uh, so like what words uh, of encouragement or support or advice uh, would you give to someone in your position when you were 18? Definitely look, uh, don't, definitely don't limit yourself to just the Philippines, right? We are in an age where we are a global economy and from a jobs perspective, there's just so many opportunities that are not just in the Philippines, but also just, you know, literally anywhere across the world. And, and, and I'm not specifically advocating for people to leave their country. Um, you know, that is definitely a, a huge decision that everyone really has to spend some time thinking about and making that decision for themselves and their family. But what I advocate for really is think bigger. And from a career perspective, think uh, just more than what you what we currently imagine um, a career to look like, right? One of the one of the things that I realized uh, moving to Canada is that there's so many different jobs um, that I didn't imagine when I was in the Philippines. You know, when I was in the Philippines you know, really is very dependent on your degree, right? You're either a lawyer, an accountant, a programmer, a business person, if your family had a business, um, or a doctor, a nurse. Like there's like these, basically there's these professional jobs that you can have. Outside of the Philippines, there's just so many different types of jobs. Like if, you know, like my position right now is a job that I never knew existed when I was in the Philippines. It's, it's basically this like combination of like, you know, business strategy and looking at growth and marketing. And it is something that I did not imagine was a job until I uh, set foot in uh, Canada and just started working. Okay, so I guess just generally keeping an open mind right to like the opportunities that present itself present themselves are important like just to your point of like opening your mind like i have a friend who is working for an amazon uh fba business in the u.s but he's working here (laughs) and like Mm -hmm. that is weird man like he's in the he's in cebu and he's he's talking about market trends on amazon in like wyoming or something and i'm like dude (laughs) this is so weird But like he's getting paid a good amount of money, like more than someone his age would get working for a local company, right? So Definitely, again, 100%. speaks to your point of like uh, just keeping yeah, like looking for bigger opportunities. Now, I think the most 
interesting thing about you particularly, John, is the, the space that you work in, right? Uh, you work in the space that we have sitcoms about, you know, like Silicon Valley. You work in startups, uh, not in America, but in Canada, yep. uh, which uh, arguably is just as good. Uh, is how is that like? And uh, is it lucrative for someone who is not a founder? Like, because you work for a startup. Mm. Yeah, so the short answer to that is yes, it is very uh, lucrative. In, um, in North America, right, uh, jobs are really uh, divided into sectors and industry, which same goes to the Philippines, but it's just more mature um, and clearly defined here in, in uh, Canada, at least to my knowledge, is the startup scene is part of this bigger, we call it tech sector, the technology sector, right? In technology sector, there's a bunch of like different sub um, categories. You have, you know, IT services, you have um, you know, people who develop websites, you have people that are contractors and so on and so forth. The tech startup is definitely one of those things that is uh, pretty lucrative in just like the tech sector. And it's not just for founders. Um, and the reason behind that is the practice in, in the tech startup community in, uh, in Toronto and in Canada, but also just in uh, Silicon Valley and just like all other companies, tech startup companies in the US is that employees, especially the early stage employees are given these uh, things called um, stock options, equity. So they have a stake in the company, which is part of their compensation. And so, you know, you have a salary that you earn um, on a yearly basis. Um, and you also have stock options, which you can, uh, which can really be lucrative if that company succeeds. You know, one of the things um, in startup space is that plenty of startups fail. Not everything uh, succeeds, not everything, um, you know, becomes the next Facebook or becomes the next Twitter or whatever um, tech startup there is. So there's a certain degree of risk, right? And so from, 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 a, from an employee's perspective, you have to factor in risk between reward, right? And so us employees, we have the option of taking more cash in the form of salary and less equity or taking in more equity and a little bit less cash. Um, you know, that, that's kind of like the, the details to it. But in the grand scheme of things, um, tech employees, specifically in the startups, are actually one of the most well-paid um, professionals, at least in, uh, in Toronto, just right next there to uh, definitely not as much as like investment bankers and um, finance guys, but tech is slowly becoming one of those uh, well-paying uh, jobs in, uh, in the city. <laughs> that's one of those things that uh, you never really understand about the, uh, the uh, about North America in general, no? Like uh, the investment bankers and the guys in the financial space are paid so ludicrously high, right? Like, so even someone who uh, generates a good amount of value for society who works in the tech space, essentially your redundant jobs in engaging in this process of creative destruction, society doesn't value his work as much as the guy who uh, moves securities around. <laughs> I, I have a hard time uh, coming to grips with the morality of that one. Uh, so, in so far as uh, the the uh, work that you do, what can you give us a brief description of like the company that you work for? Mm. Yeah, so the company I work for is called like LumiQ. It's L-U-M-I-Q, and so we're a tech startup company. And what we did was we built this podcasting app, and that provides continuous professional development for professional counties. So I'm pretty sure um, anyone who's listening, who's from the Philippines and is familiar with the accounting space um, knows that to maintain your designation, uh, your CPA designation, you need to have a, uh, a number of hours in a given year spent towards professional development. And so basically we built this app, uh, this podcasting app where we feature uh, business leaders in North America, and we interview them 
and we deliver the, these content in this like podcasting form, which has proven to be a really wild success because the alternative option is looking at those two hour live webinars, which is, you know, what we found to be like extremely dry and boring. Um, and so, you know, with the introduction of podcasting, it's basically something that you could take anywhere. And so the convenience and just like the type of content we've we've developed certainly has proven to be a hit, at least in the Canadian market. <laughs> this is, okay, that sounds terribly interesting. There's someone like me because in, in the Philippines, we have our, well, the equivalent of continuing professional education, we call it mandatory continuing legal education mm-hmm. uh, because you're not actually, <laughs> you, you can be disbarred if you show up to court without the certificate. Uh, it's so funny. Uh, we actually, we're actually caged in a room and there's like an officer of the Supreme Court at the entrance to make sure we really? don't make, yeah, it's like, it's like, you know, it, it's like progressively less freedom as you go through. Cause like college was relatively easy going. And then when you get to law school, it's like you're transported back to high school. And when you go for the mandatory continuing legal education, it's like something akin to kindergarten. It's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it will definitely be uh, interesting to, to have uh, someone also in the podcast perhaps uh, share their experience as a CPA, because I'd be curious to just know how, how that is. Because like lawyers do have their professional development, but accountants, like I think a lot of professionals have that requirement. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I think it's more forgiving with the other professions. Like they, they actually are allowed to do webinars. And we only started recently doing it because COVID forced us to. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Mm. But uh, what what is the startup space uh, in Canada, though? Like if you could if you could give like if you could give a bit more of a deep dive to what that looks like, what the image of success is and uh, what the startups in Canada generally build towards. Yeah. So that's definitely a very uh, interesting question. And it's also perhaps like a, a loaded question, because um, in, in the North American space, Canada as always, is shadowed by um, our American counterparts, right? All the tech startups that I think we could rattle off easily that is recognizable worldwide are American. You know, you have Netflix, which is a startup company. You have obviously the classics. You have Facebook, Google, Apple. Apple was once a startup company. IBM was even a startup company. Um, A lot of these companies are in the U.S. and continue to exist, and they continue to um, generate these, um, you know, billion-dollar companies um, in the stateside. Canada is also maybe perhaps because of like a a slightly different culture in in um, in the U.S. Canada is a bit more on the conservative side, and so we're more risk-averse than our neighbors to the south, and so that has reflected. Um, just in the tech startup space. We have a lot of success, recent success um, in, in the tech startup space, um, specifically in, uh, in the city of like Toronto and also this uh, city, um, which is a two, two hours from Toronto called Waterloo. And we've developed a bunch of like recognizable startups, but I'm not entirely sure if it's, um, it has worldwide recognition. Like one of the biggest tech companies in uh, Toronto is this thing called Shopify. Um, it's like this uh, uh, re- t- uh, e-commerce uh, website where you basically like build these like e-commerce shops um, and make it make it available for any like small businesses. So like I have a rough idea of uh, Shopify. So this is now me testing how how uh, the the uh, the conceptual impression that Shopify has made on me. It's a portal where you make websites and they have a very good e-commerce integration. Is that is that about right? Yeah, that's uh, exactly it. Okay. Well, so so that means that it's 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 very good because like a dude halfway around the world and presumably doesn't have his ear to the ground when it comes to the startup space has heard of it. So, like, mm, there's there's always this thing that's brought up for uh, startups though. It's like venture capital. Is that is that something that's terribly important to uh, startup spaces in in North America? Yes, venture capitals basically existed out of a need for high growth company, tech startups, um, they're having like this like symbiotic relationship. So basically, if you look back a little bit into like history, VCs started to prop up because banks couldn't concept, couldn't understand what tech startups do. 
in, in a traditional sense, right? Um, if, if a small business goes to a bank, um, you know, you have the business plan, you have your, you know, how, how you would think of monetizing something and so on and so forth, because it's a sound plan. Uh, banks thrive in those things because there's not much risk. And here's where I'd like to kind of like differentiate between what a tech startup is and what is just, just a small business. Small businesses usually execute on a business plan that has already been proven. And so if you are um, perhaps looking at starting a, 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 an online shop selling, I don't know, food or whatever that case would be, if that has been a proven model, then you are a small business. You're not a tech startup. Tech startups are a different breed of small businesses. They're, they start off typically as a small business because you only have like five or six employees. But the objective of a tech startup typically is to disrupt an industry, disrupt a market. And so you're looking at examples like Uber, right? They disrupted the taxi industry. And sure, they started with perhaps like two people uh, to start the company, but the trajectory, as you can see, like they now employ like thousands and thousands of employees. And so, you know, going back uh, to, to the question as to how VCs existed, banks could not understand tech startups because it was not a proven model. They could not forecast how much that company would make two or three years down the line. You know, you're looking at tech startups uh, you know, Amazon, uh, Uber, Uber is not making uh, profits up until this day, right? Uh, Amazon um, took a couple of years before they started becoming a profitable company. From a bank's perspective, that's just like nuts, right? A business should be making money as soon as possible. And so VCs basically fill that gap and that they understand the model inherent in a startup space where there's a lot of risk involved. And so they pour money. Um, onto like these companies, you know, there's like this classic formula that VCs would invest in 10 startups, knowing that nine of them, eight of them will fail. One of them will become like this next Facebook, this next Uber, these like billion dollar valuations. And one of them will perhaps just be an average, you know, profitable company, but that's their, that's their math. And so that's kind of like the, the reason why these like VCs venture capital exists um, versus, uh, you know, like those traditional banks that small businesses can lend money from. Yeah, and like having said that, there's like a few things that jump out to my mind because actually in the Philippines, like the startup space is largely driven by banks <laughs> and it's, it's largely in the fields of fintech. So like Gcash, Paymaya are like uh, examples of like small companies that were basically incubated by large banks, right? And to that point, there are actually reasons why you don't want banks to engage in this kind of speculative behavior because they're holding on to people's savings, right? You don't, yep. you don't want the bank to be engaged in risky endeavors. And so you need people, uh, venture capitalists with, uh, you know, too much money and not enough good sense. I mean, I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you want uh, that, you know, them to exist on distinct levels of society so that, you know, you don't wind up creating a scenario where like, grandma doesn't have like a retirement pension anymore because some banker got too cocky right exactly yeah. I, so why, why like given so like say for example you yourself you're filipino talent you went to america and you're probably you're you are a very valued member of uh, the startup space that you exist in so conceivably there is talent in the philippines also for the creation of startups why is it you think that uh startups in uh the philippines uh, are don't become as prolific as they do in North America? That's definitely a good question. And it's definitely something that I have thought of uh, a lot ever since I've worked in the tech startup space, because, you know, um, I don't, I don't see myself uh, as, as a genius. I see myself as capable and I can, I can really see that a lot of the things I do right now, um, you know, a lot of my colleague, a lot of my friends back home can, can also like, do something similar. And I think the, there's a couple of uh, theories that I have as to why it's not as uh, prolific in the Philippines as it is in like North America. And I could potentially rattle off a couple things. One is capital, right? As you said, it's just the big banks right now that are 
um, investing in these like tech, tech startups. And that is one. The reason uh, when you describe like they invest in FinTech is because they have a vested interest in making sure that they develop like this product that would help, that would still help them, right? Because transactions is kind of like how they make money. And so they wanted to be ahead of the curve and invest in these companies. Uh, perhaps like they would acquire even like these companies before they re revolutionize the maybe perhaps like the financial systems in the Philippines or um, the banking systems. So they have this vested interest to, to invest and just have like this hold into like the FinTech sector, that's one. Um, but like going back to the main point is access to capital. I think in, in the US, uh, particularly in the US, there's VCs definitely throw their money at almost anything. Um, and so it's very easy for people. If you just have a solid idea, if you just have something that potentially could be revolutionary, you're throwing money at it. That's one. Second is perhaps um, talent and the training that comes along with it. If you look at the startup scene in Toronto, it's a relatively small pool. Um, one of the practices that tech companies do here is that you know if a company uh, exits, basically a company gets sold or it goes public, uh, the employees move on to different companies, either starting their own companies or working for some other companies. But there's a sense as to why we do that. And the reason behind that is because you want talent, people who have experience building companies from you know, five employees to 500. You want these people to you know, hold on to like more important roles in like other companies. And so there isn't, I believe, like much talent of that, like with that experience in the Philippines to begin with, at least not at the same scale as North America. And so we, we have, in essence, a talent shortage of that quality, right? We don't have a shortage of developers. We have really good computer science students and like produce in different universities. These guys could code just as good as their counterparts in North America, but it's a business aspect that is a bit lacking. Um, you know, you have like product managers, you have like salespeople, you have marketing, you have um, finance people. That is, you know, the only place you could get those experience, at least in the Philippines, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is just in like these big multinational companies or these big, big companies. Um, if you look at, there's not really a big, like, you know, small to medium sized businesses around in the Philippines where you could, you know, get a job and, you know, work your way up. Well, I, I don't know about uh, that. I, I think it, it, it comes from a lot from, how shall we say, uh, our, like this Asian mentality, you know, like we tend to associate ourselves with whatever job we're doing. Like, if that makes sense, like, like me, people look at me as a lawyer and they find it weird that I also do business on the side. Like, you're a lawyer. Like, why are you putting this extra stuff on your plate? And to speak specifically to your point of uh, the multinational companies, I, I disagree with you there because I have friends who are in multinational companies and they're like, oh, you do marketing? It's like, no, I do sales. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Is, aren't those two things pretty close? <laughs> I mean, like maybe they are, there's like a technical difference, but like, I'm pretty sure if you wanted to do marketing, you could be a marketing dude. And I'm like, no, no, I'm a sales dude. And I'm like, wow, that's like hyper specialized. And that, you know, so I think largely Filipinos do have the same capabilities as they do in the West. just that they're not willing to ask themselves the questions. You know, they're not willing to go outside their comfort zones. And that's something that I always struggle with. Yeah, I mean, uh, just just something to to clarify there. I definitely don't uh, disagree with, with the fact that we have talent. We have talent. We have capable people, millions of them. I think mm -hmm. the the difference, and which is what I was referring to, is the fact that there isn't a lot of um, experience managing um, the, the side of the business. Uh, we don't have uh, people that, you know, uh, we don't have a lot of people that could. Um, you know, be in positions where you manage a ton of people. It's, it's very limited, right? In the, the difference, at least in, in Canada, is that aside from like these big companies that exist in, in Canada, 
there's a lot of like these small to medium-sized businesses. In fact, 90% of Canadians work in small to medium-sized businesses. And so you can see there's a lot of like, you know, VPs, there's a lot of like these like, you know, really uh, good paying jobs and good experience jobs in smaller companies. Because if you only have a lot of like these big, big companies, there's not a lot of positions open for like a VP of marketing or a VP of finance or a chief financial officer. It's very limited, especially in proportion to the population um, in any country. Mm. Well, now that you bring up population, that, that's like a key point that I was rattling around in my head also. The Philippines also has too many people. You know what I mean? Like there is, it, it's like there's a limited economic incentive to invest in any one person because if you have multiple jobs, it's often cheaper and more effective to simply split the responsibility that could have been held by one highly skilled person across five or six uh, people. Like, like I'm sure in your job, you thought you do business development. So you probably have finance, you probably handle the technology side as well. And then uh, I, I don't, I don't know, maybe three or maybe two or three other sub roles that exist. But in the Philippines, you would never, you would never find one person doing all those jobs. And I, I, it speaks to, like, again, the economic scenario that I was bringing up. But also, I think if you wanted to, you know, you could really push yourself to be that person who could do it all. But we just don't. Like, uh, not, not, this is not a judgment, again, of Filipinos. I think largely it's like circumstance. But uh, it's unfortunate that we don't push ourselves to do more. Yeah, and I look at someone like you who is terribly successful where you are. And I think, you know, you're fundamentally the same dude you were 10 years ago, right? But you're successful, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Feel free to disagree, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like there, there's definitely something, a relevant point that you mentioned is the, the number of opportunities that exist. And that goes back to like the very first um, discussion that we had um, early on in this podcast is that there's a lot of opportunities outside of the Philippines. And from a perspective if you look at just like where that perspective comes from, it's just the number of opportunities in the Philippines percentage wise, right? Relative like to the population is, is definitely um, more favorable outside. And to your point about like, you know, being in a very specialized role is that's kind of like the way I, um, the, the disadvantage I would say that we have in our, in our country, at least for, for this, for the time being is that you either are in a very large multinational corporation where you have a very siloed uh, job description. Yeah, you, know, you have this box where this is what you need to do day in, day out. You won't be doing anything else. And you have this extreme and you have the other extreme, which is like you're a very, like you're a very small business owner and you do, you do a lot of things, right? You sell your product, you deal with the accounting stuff, right? You have like these like two or five um, person, uh, small businesses, which, which is also uh, plenty in the Philippines, there's not a lot of those like medium-sized businesses um, where, where people can really start and, you know, get exposed to, to what you said, right? Different aspects of the business and just have a more holistic approach to, you know, developing products, developing services. Is That's the thing that's missing. We don't have a very healthy um, medium-sized businesses um, that that there are plenty, at least in uh, Canada and the U.S. Mm -hmm. And uh, like a large part of it also is the so I came from a, a background where we we had a business for we we've, we've owned and operated a business for about forty years, and I'm not sure if it's partly to blame uh, is the management culture. Uh, so my mom uh, was the kind of person who would micromanage and she would really tell people what to do day to day. And without that instruction, they wouldn't have done anything, uh, at, at least in our assessment, at least. Yeah, hello, Ramley's mom. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, but then this is like, uh, well, I think, I think any business person in Cebu will have uh, largely the same scenario, uh, largely the same opinion, where you, where you have to kind of force the jobs onto people, right? Uh, but of course, when I went to college and I learned about business, because my undergraduate degree was in business, uh, you know, you learn about management styles and like eliciting the best out of people without having to, you know, micromanage. Uh, and uh, from our perspective, that's new, right? Like having people uh, organically assume more 
responsibility, getting them involved in the business. And I think that's something that's really missing also. Like our business tradition is lacking that sense of shared responsibility, making people feel like they own something. Like something that I always tell my legal assistant because I'm starting my own law office. Uh, it's like, I always refer to our law office as like atong tindahan, like our store. <laughs> so like, and it gets her, it gets her excited, like a little bit, you know, <laughs> like uh, uh, it gets her interested in doing work outside of work hours, like if necessary, of course, I'm not the kind of boss who imposes, but if I ask her for something more than likely than not, she'll, she'll do it for me. You know, she won't put it mm -hmm. off until the following day. And I think it's largely because I get her invested in the idea that we're building something together, not so much uh, separately, which I think is important for the Philippines to assume if we're ever going to get to that level where we have uh, employees like you who are capable of uh, spreading themselves across multiple roles, right? And uh, yeah, uh, what is, so to that point, can I ask, like, uh, what does your boss treat you like, like in the, in Canada? You, you didn't have any experience working in the Philippines, but like, just uh, what is your relationship like with your superior? Yeah, so, um... To, for like a full disclaimer, uh, this is not like indicative of like any jobs in Canada. Um, you know, there's certainly plenty of jobs in Canada that are rather similar to, to what you've described where there's, there's like this set box of responsibilities that you have to do. And you have a boss that just, you know, looks at your, your uh, position and looks at just the output based on the job description and all those stuff. But uh, I think one of, uh, one of the things that's also great about being in the tech startup space is that because it's a typically a fairly small operation for starters, you have a really uh, good relationship with your boss. And so, um, you know, we're on, we're on a first name basis with my boss, um, and you know, we call call each other like almost a lot of times during the day, uh, just you know, checking in on work. And even before the pandemic, uh, there's certainly a lot of freedom that I enjoyed. Um, perks, if you will, on, on the job. Um, I don't, I didn't have a job. I didn't have a manager that was micromanaging everything that I do in a given day. Um, you know, I could definitely uh, go and have a haircut appointment middle of the day or have a dental appointment middle of the day and just come back to work with no questions asked. And it's mm -hmm. definitely just this culture of if you do what you need to do, we don't really care what you're doing by the minute. Right. There's not like this, like overtly, you know, I'm your manager. You need to be at your desk from nine to five. It's, it's definitely something um, different. It's something that they have more trust. And that also comes with just you as an employee. If you show that you do your work and that you do it on a timely manner and that you, your output is uh, as, uh, as good as it gets, then um, you definitely could have that relationship with my boss, which, which I do. And so that's also pretty common in the tech startup scene. Um, not so as just like a career in general. Hmm. So in, in the immediate, in like the near term, where do you imagine your career taking you? Do you plan to like uh, exit from this startup and then go to another one? Or like you plan to pursue more formal employment in the not tech, the not tech, start, tech startup space? Yeah, I mean, like tech startups is, uh, first off, it is like formal employment. Um, you know, uh, it is a, uh -huh. uh, a a legitimate like operation, which has its own like profit and loss and all those like fun stuff. So it's, it's definitely um, a legitimate operation, just uh, uh, as a disclaimer there. Whereas, where I see myself in, in the future, and I'm, look, I'm thinking like, you know, two to three years down the line is, you know, after the company exits, uh, gets sold uh, gets sold by a uh, another company, or we go public. Whatever the case would be, uh, there's certainly a couple paths that I have for myself, which frankly I've not decided yet. One is perhaps working at another tech company, where um, you know I would leverage my existing experience um, from from like this current job that I have, because that would definitely be on demand, especially for companies that are looking to scale their, their business. Um, second option is perhaps starting my own uh, tech company. Um, you know, certainly there's an appeal to um, found, founding a, a tech company because it's now easier to raise 
uh, money from like VCs, venture capitals, or uh, these things called like angel investors or any other like form of like raising capital because they know that you came from a company that has exited and so you have like this uh, experience with you or perhaps like working at a uh, bigger company down the line, uh, hopefully with a more senior uh, role. Um, and, you know, like those basically were, are the options uh, that I have in the, uh, in the near future. Well, have you ever considered taking some of your uh, experience and, and don't feel the need to give a concrete answer because again, like it's a loaded question. Uh, the startup experience, because I know a few guys from the US like the tech startup space and then they came back to the Philippines and they're having like a moderate amount of success here, right? Uh, they own this startup called NextPay, which is like a, a completely digital bank. And so that's what they're doing now, uh, given their background. So is that is that something that's on your radar or like it's not, it hasn't even crossed your mind? It's something that has, um, that has been in my mind for quite some time. And I think that's where the second option that I mentioned earlier, right? Starting my own company also comes from is that when I mentioned starting my own company, it's not limited to Canada, right? The things, the thing with uh, creating like this, tech company is that ideas can occur at any time and you are wanting to solve a problem that currently exists. And there's plenty of problems in North America. There's plenty of problems in the Philippines to solve. And so it's really about figuring out- What, really? What, <laughs> yeah, I find it hard to believe. Um, but no, seriously, um, the, there's just, it's a question of like, what, are, what am I capable of? versus what, what is the problem that I want to solve and just how impactful um, will my experience be to try to solve those problems? And I think that's how I would guide whether that next company that I would, uh, the company that I would file, um, establish would be either in Canada or uh, the Philippines, but up for grabs, I don't know. Okay, and on that point, I sincerely hope uh, that some, rich Chinese Filipino Taipan hears this podcast and goes, you know, this John Luke two kid has a, has a lot on his mind. Let's bro, let's fly him over here and give him a nice amount of this thing he calls venture capital. Uh, <laughs> and uh, with that, uh, John, thank you so much for agreeing to come on my podcast. It was really interesting. I'm sure everyone who, who logged on today and listened to this podcast would be very thankful that they listened to the insight that you brought to the table today. Well, I'm, uh, I certainly had a lot of fun uh, uh, doing this like a podcast and, um, you know, happy to share my insights. <laughs>